When you're a marketer, you get hit by hundreds of metrics that you could potentially keep track of, but not all of them are useful at all times. Some of them are even completely useless and we call them vanity metrics. So to try to help you figure out which metrics you should give attention to, Mark and I are going to share 10 of the metrics that we think are the most important for our business and how to track them. And spoiler alert, these may not be the ones that you think we track. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. As you know now, we are back to the weekly long format. So this is going to be a long episode, but it's going to be an interesting one. I think that, you know, when I see the amount of time people spend talking about page speed on SEO group versus other metrics, you know, there could be like a Kevin chart where it's like 89% of discussions are page speed for metrics and the rest only gets like 9% or something or whatever. It's like, it's terrible. So I think that it's going to be quite interesting to not talk. There's one metric that we'll talk about page speed, but let's talk about the other metrics as well. But before that, how's it going, Mark? Ah, I was waiting for it. Such a <laughs> such a release when you asked me like how it's going. It's going great actually. Yeah, fan, fantastic. Still, I never ask you outside of the podcast as well. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but, do you uh, really care? Or? <laughs> that's a good way to introduce you without having to think about it and prepare some segue into it. So that's that's how it works, really. So kind of like my default, you know, like when I meet people, I don't know what to say. I just say, how is it going? And that's that's usually that. So if you meet me in real life and I say, how is it going? I just had no idea what to say to you that second before. You know, we all have that, those sentences we use, right? And that's mine. So I just gave away wow. my kryptonite. Now let's jump into the metrics. Well, let me, let me turn that around. How are you? Uh, it's getting too hot in Budapest, but at least we're not locked down. So it's pretty good. <laughs> it's been pretty much two months of like, no. When people start deflecting the question and talking about the weather, they, they really don't know what to say either. So, you know. Have some of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay basically, but I'm really hot right now. Actually, I had to turn the aircon to max power just before, so I hope people don't hear that in the podcast. But that's not the topic of today's podcast, so let's jump onto today's podcast. And actually, I'll let you start actually because you're picking up the first few metrics that we're going to be sharing. Okay, so we're going to be talking about a lot of metrics today, but none of them are as important as this first one because this is what really defines your business, and that is net profit. So what is net profit? Well, it's the amount of revenue you make, your sales, less your costs, so the cost to produce that, that those sales, minus any expenses or salaries that, that you have personally. It may sound like uh, you know, Captain Obvious over here telling me to look Duh. at my look at my net profit. <laughs> Businesses obviously exist to make make a profit, but they are far, far more important than any kind of vanity metric. And I'm including like top line revenue as a kind of vanity metric, you know, in a way compared to net net profit, at least. And anything else we're talking about today, any of the other metrics, we're measuring them. But the, uh, and they're sort of like part of the chain of events that, that occur on the way to us making money. A business exists to make profit and that's what we that's what we care about. So you should keep a close eye on it. And the reason I also bring it up is because about four and a bit years ago, before we moved to our current bookkeeper, which is a company called Bean Ninjas, we used to have every quarter, we used to send all our receipts, invoices, download all our uh, e-commerce stuff, our PayPal export and send it over to an accountant. And she would prepare this once per quarter. So about four times throughout the year, 
when we she sent no us that complete report, we would know where our position was and our, our net profit. And then over the next three months, it would get progressively out of date and we, would, we wouldn't really have much clue until we, we checked in on it again. Uh, so now that we have a weekly bookkeeping done in a tool called Zero, which is an online um, accounting bookkeeping tool, we, Gail or I or anyone else can log in at any point and just see, okay, how are we doing? How are we progressing this month? And all sorts of interesting things come up when you we start like keeping a pulse on your uh, on on your net profit. So I would encourage you to at least be doing this this monthly because if you don't know this number then you you really don't know your your business very well. Yeah, I think also it's one of these numbers that this is not the number people share when you talk to them about their business. So people like to share revenue, but not I mean which is we're going to talk about revenue next, but like People never talk about net profit and it's like, they, especially like econ people, I meet like, oh my God, I have built this seven figure business, etc. It sounds impressive, especially if you're a beginner and you're like, oh my God, this is so great, etc. But the thing is like, if you buy a, a million dollar of stuff and resell it for a million dollars, you have a million, you have a seven figure business, yeah. uh, but you have zero profit. And it's like, a lot of people kind of like sell themselves at social events for entrepreneurs that way by inflating themselves. And so like net profit is really like how much the money the company is actually making versus how much you have in revenue. So I think, it's, especially in case studies, you will see that a lot where people talk about revenues to like inflate that as well. Be very careful. What you're looking for is that metric, which is net profit, which is after tax, not sorry, not, not after all tax, but after expenses, most importantly. So if they pay for advertising, if they pay for products, if they pay anything like that, then that's the number you want to be looking at. And it's what tells how profitable an actual business is, you know. Do you want to go for the next one? Because that's yours too. Yeah, so this next one is revenue and conversion rate per page. So this is really important, especially on larger sites as well, but also on smaller sites so that you will know what's actually generating the revenue in your business. Quite often, it's a small number of pages or a, a hub that might be generating a, a significant proportion of, of your revenue. And it would make sense to maybe build that that hub out further or create more similar content or take some learnings from that and and kind of apply that further rather than just, you know, scattergun producing all sorts of random pieces of content around your niche. So it's really important to, to look at this, but it can be also a little bit tricky to actually measure at times, if you're an affiliate, if you're an Amazon affiliate, up until very recently, it was, it was quite easy because Amazon used to have something called the content marketing report, which if you had the um, Amazon tag, one one link or something, it would automatically pull, pull it in uh, and it would tell you your Amazon revenue per page. Uh, and that was, that was really, really useful because it would pull in everything, not just the products you're recommended, but all the other stuff that people who, who bought through that link um, bought as well, and it would tie it back to page level, which is really important. Now, if you want to do this with other affiliate programs, you're going to need to uh, have some kind of sub ID or tracking ID for each page. Most affiliate programs will allow you to do this. So you should just create like a sub ID, which would be ideally just the URL slug, you know, after your domain of that page. Uh, that's that's quite a good, good way of kind of organizing it. And then if you do that, you can then run off a report at the end of the month or however long, how often you're, you're looking at it. And you can just tie it back to, to that page. So you see revenue per page in, in that sense. And Gail, you put something in here about Google Analytics. I don't know much about this, so you're going to have to help me out here. What do we do here? Yeah, I mean, you can uh, 
So like to regress to that, like revenue per page, but you you also want to maybe track clicks per page. And sometimes if you don't have track ID, tracking IDs, what you can do is you can create events in Google Analytics that allow you to see that in the Google Analytics interface as well, which is nice because then you can slice it per country, per browser, per traffic source, etc. So it's like it allows you to do that. So adding events to that as well allows you to like essentially go deeper on that. And also if you're doing if you're selling products, e-commerce tracking will give you that. The problem obviously is that revenue per page is tricky, right? Because that, of course, if you're looking at like the last page people visited, it's always going to be your checkout page. Um, but it doesn't mean that this is the page that essentially convinced people to buy. And so it is a very deep world, the conversion tracking world. There's like first touch attribution, last touch attribution. There's also decaying attribution, depending on time when people touch this. There is assisted attribution. So for example, you know, channels like Instagram, for example, would be an assist channel. Like it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sales unless you're running ads because there's no links on Instagram. Oh, but it could be an assist channel, etc. Same with YouTube videos and so on. So there's a lot of ways to look at that. I know Google Analytics actually supports most of these models and you can actually see these numbers based on each model. So you can change the model and actually get an idea of that. Obviously, this is for e-commerce and selling your own products, not really for traffic for affiliate. Affiliate is just like put a traffic uh, TID and usually it's very simple funnel. So people go on the page, they click on the link, they get to the merchant and they buy so you don't have these things. If you're looking for like really big, complicated funnels as well, there's uh, things like Segmetrics, for example, tools like that that allow you to build these very complicated reports that allow you to see how each page contributed to the sale, etc. Much deeper than Google Analytics. So yeah, it is it is a deep world. But if you're running a simple affiliate site, it's just putting a tracking ID and then uh, doing that. We're also tracking uh, Affiliate right now as well, which uh, does some of that. We, we can't give it a recommendation or anything because we just started trying it. Um, but it is a tool that essentially tries to do a lot of that job for you. So it looks looks pretty interesting. Let's go on the next one. Yeah, so the next one is contact growth. So this is relevant if you are running uh, any kind of email list, which you, you probably should be unless you're like heavy into affiliate and nothing else. And it's all very well looking at number of subscribers or, or something, but when you get to a certain point and you have 70,000 and it goes from like 70,050 to 70,090, it's like, it's really hard to see. Like if we look in our active campaign dashboard, it's like a straight line for the whole month just because like the, the incremental growth is such a low proportion of yeah. the overall growth. So the metrics we look at is the contact growth of so new subscribers per day and it's really important that you look at this per day because if there's any kind of fuck up in your opt-in software or just any part of your funnel, this is usually one of the first things that breaks, at least in our experience, it's happened three or four times. And you will get a very early lead indicator if this number starts going to zero or dropping significantly for a few days. And you can kind of dig into dig into the problem and see is there a technical issue or you know something else which is which is causing this. So it's a really important metric and I think you really need to watch it like a like a hawk if you're doing any kind of sales-based, uh, funnel-based email marketing. Yeah, uh, I mean, you say that because we had our pop-up break for three weeks at some point and we didn't notice, we didn't track it properly. <laughs> and that messed up with us. So yeah, these, these things will happen even, and that's why we started paying more attention to this, basically. I wanted to put that metric together with uh, active users. So if you are running an affiliate site or something like that, you're not building an Email list, I think active users in Google Analytics is essentially the closest metric to that. It's the number of unique people that have interacted with your website in the last one day, seven days, 30 days, at least that's the default views in Analytics. And what it does is it shows the growth of your audience, right? And it shows, it kind of like mixes together engagement with discovery. And it gives you an idea of how many people touch your business. So if you're going to 
be pushing something, selling something, or you just if you want to see the growth of your site in search, things like that, usually you need to see that curve go up. When I said, when that curve goes down, usually for us, because a lot of our traffic is organic on pretty much most of our sites, it means that our search is doing worse as well. But also it gives us an idea that maybe the stuff we're doing does not engage people that were following us as much. So even if you have an email, this is quite interesting. You can actually follow that metric either in the default analytics dashboard when you open it, or you can go in audience and active users and you will find that report here and you can go more granular and select different durations and things like that and get an idea. Especially if you have a website that's like actually trying to build an audience, this is actually quite powerful. It really gives you an idea of like the size of the audience. And if you run things like retargeting, for example, it's also going to give you an idea of how powerful that's going to be because these are the people that will be on your retargeting list. So it is an interesting one. It goes together with contact growth, I think. Next one. Next one's revenue per employee. So this is, this is actually a metric which like Fortune 500 companies use, like big companies use. So Netflix, for example, makes $2.3 million per employee. So it's a, the total amount That's of revenue um, divided by the number of employees they have, quite simple. Amazon, only $300,000. I say only, uh, it's still huge, but $300,000 per employee. Uh, now, what you want to look at with this metric, um, why it's so important, is typically when you when you start and it's just you and you things you know start taking off, you will tend to make very high or a, a decent amount of money per employee because it's just you. Uh, but what can happen if you're not careful is that you start adding a lot of people. But your revenue might go up, but like not significantly so, and you end up spending a lot of uh, staff cost, which is probably going to be one of your one of your most expensive costs for websites. So like content, link building, you know these kinds of things. You end up spending a lot of money on stuff which isn't moving the needle revenue wise for you, uh, and therefore isn't contributing to to your bottom line. So you know this would be when you're you go all out on having epic branding and you know, a huge maybe support team or like doing all this kind of unnecessary stuff, which may be cool and adding value, but not necessarily like bringing home the bacon. So I think it's, it's always a good metric to keep an eye on. You don't need to watch this every every week, but like just once a quarter when you do your quarterly planning and quarterly meeting, have a look at, um, have a look at revenue per, per employee. If you have a lot of freelance staff, then you can kind of like Break that up into two different metrics, or you can sort of combine it, combine it all in, all into one. So yeah, yeah, I think it gives you an idea of how bloated your company is. I think that's that's the way. It is. And and I think these two, like revenue per employee and profit margins, often correlate. I mean, net profit because it's like employees tend to be the highest cost for your business. Therefore, the more employees you have and the lower revenue per employee you have the lower unit profit usually, which is an encouragement to run lean and that's how we run our stuff and we're pretty happy about that. Uh, what it does as well is it reduces your management overhead, which is also nice. So yeah, we recommend basically running lean companies. We do that very effectively these days. And so as a result, these are the metrics we're looking at. Then we're running into more like IM type metrics. So this was like more high level stuff. Still matters, like, you know, the contacts, et cetera, number of users. But now it's like, you regress to like traffic, etc. And that the first one is going to be session and engagement metrics by source, page, and browser. So I've kind of like grouped all of these together. And you know, the metrics you're gonna be looking at is time on page, bounce rate. I'm not a huge fan because bounce rate on analytics just means nothing. If you spend six minutes on the page and go back, or like a two hours on the page and go back, and only visit one page, it's counted as a bounce by default analytics. So it's just not a good metric initially. But it's like you can still look at it a little bit, but it's I'm not a fan. If there's a variation on the same page, maybe it's interesting. 
but otherwise I think it's not very good, but pages per visit, stuff like that uh, is quite interesting. And so I'm looking, then I'm segmenting it. First of all, per traffic source, that's the one everyone does, right? Uh, checking like Google traffic and like your Facebook ads and like your social traffic, etc. Uh, what that does is it allows you to see useless sources of traffic. And they ha happen often, like for example, a lot of people, apart from monetizing with display ads, don't really manage to make any money from Pinterest because it can drive a lot of traffic but the traffic is a lot less engaged and doesn't care that much about you, et cetera. And so it might look cool in analytics in numbers, but then when you look at engagement metrics, then you realize that even though it looks cool, unless you're running, you know, Mediavine, Adstripe, something like this, it's not exactly the best source of traffic and you're maybe better focusing on like SEO, even if you only generate half the traffic from SEO because the engagement is so much higher. Uh, and you realize how good of a traffic source SEO is when you actually look at it that way. Then you're going to look at it per page. So I like to like essentially compare how long people spend on the page against the average of a page on my website. But I also like to look at the word count on my page against the time spent. So it's like, you know, let's say I have a 2000 word article. I like to benchmark it against other 2000 word articles because if like I benchmark it against a, you know, a podcast show note, for example, I'll go all the podcasts is a bad idea because people might play it on the, on the page, but you know, a 500 word article or something that it makes sense that there would be less time on the 500 word article. It doesn't mean it's worse. So like benchmarking these and essentially understanding if people are actually enjoying the content, finding what they want, etc. And finally per device. And th the reason I check per device is not really per device and per browser, it's not really for engagement, but rather to find broken stuff on the website. And as you know, <laughs> we have had broken pages on like um, depreciated versions of Safari. So for example, you know, like someone still has a, an iPad 2, for example. iPad 2 has not had a new iOS version for maybe like five years or something. So it's running a four, five years old, more than that, like five, yeah, five years old Safari or something. And so that version of Safari might actually break your website while the current version of Safari might just be fine. And as a result, like maybe you lose like two or three percent of your traffic, just can't open your page. You get three second time on page and you realize that when you break it down that way. And there's a tool for that called Browser Stack, actually, that you can, you know, if you see these kind of numbers, then you can seem to have a free trial. So you can go and sign up for that or you can have it when you do a site redesign or something, but you can then go and open on that device, on that old version of Safari, your website, and see what it looks like. And very often you'll find these like small pockets of traffic that just don't get a good experience on your site, and you have to go and tweak and fix your CSS or something like that, or fix some JavaScript to make it work. We know it by experience, it's cost us a few times. So that's why you want to look at this per device and browser, et cetera, as well. I think that's kind of like a good point as well. So the reason we're looking at all these metrics, well, there's two reasons. On the one hand, we want to make kind of big strategic decisions about the direction we take our business and how it's going and all that. And then on the other hand, you have this kind of like red alert system. If something's broken yeah. or terribly wrong, these by looking at these metrics, having a dashboard, looking at them, checking them regularly, that will flag problems before it takes you, you know, months, or weeks, or months otherwise um, to 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 catch them. Yeah, I mean, also one thing is like if I see like on the page level, for example, that like the engagement is low, and my main traffic is like tr search. That's when you look at the angle of your content, the search intent. So like you Google the keyword, you look at what angle the top pages are taking and you compare it to yours and then you just do tweaks to like the, you know, the formatting of the article. Maybe the answer needs to be higher up on the page for the exact query, et cetera. Like 
these kind of things, it's not only going to boost your rankings, but it's going to also boost engagement. And usually these two kind of like snowball with each other. So yeah, like this, this is like my bread and butter when I look at analytics really. And to go and find like Google Analytics, you go in behavior, site content, all pages, and then your main metric, you can take either landing page, source or browser. And then the second metric, you can just cross with whichever you want. So like you'll be able to find exactly what you want there. So that's your bread and butter for engagement on your site, basically. The next metric is an interesting one as well. This is for the, the page feed junkies. There's a few of them. I see, I see them on Facebook groups posting their screenshots all the time. So I know they're here. It's the page load speed per country and in Google Analytics. And it's very different from like, you know, speed tests on GT metrics or on Lighthouse or something like that, because analytics shows you, it shows you the real load speed for people if they have a slow computer, if they have shit internet, et cetera. And, but like, it's much like, it's the real life version of this, not like a synthetic test on a perfect Google server or whatever. And so what it allows me to see is it allows me to see if my CDN or hosting is doing a good job in every country and most importantly in the countries where we have customers, right? So I usually compare that, like I know more or less like where our customers or sales come from. You know, if you make sales on Amazon US, for example, obviously you're looking at speed in US and so on. And even if your site speed is, is trash in Venezuela, you don't care that much because it doesn't matter if you're only selling Amazon.com. And so it allows me to check that and I have changed like CDN solutions, et cetera, based on that. You can find in Google Analytics in behavior, site speed, page timing, and then you can choose the main metric to be the country and then you'll see that. It will show you a graph with how much higher or lower you are than the average page speed per country. And for example, for us, I checked just before this podcast and we have lower page speed than average in India, Hungary, that's probably me because I'm on that crazy 4G connection, uh, China and Mexico, for example. So these are, these are the countries where we're actually like doing worse. But in the US, for example, we look 50% faster than the average around the world, which uh, helps conversion rate on a toy hacker. Uh, so if you want to see how fast your sites really are for users, it's really cool. And then you can also dig in in terms of like, are they on mobile, are they on desktop, etc., and kind of understand that a lot of countries have shit mobile networks, for example, which explains like slower page speed. But like if you check computer page speed, then it'd be fine. And then you can't really do much if they have a bad network, but it, it will give you an idea of like where to work on page speed. And you can try your CDNs and hostings that way. Uh, that's why I, for example, like NitroPack a lot, because like that graph, when I installed NitroPack, just went from like, I'll give you the stats for Toyhacker, we went like maybe 10, 15 seconds sometimes on like really big pages. It went down to like, four or something. It's like the drop was massive and this is the real page load speed for people and that was really good. So I recommend you check that one. The next one, it's a pretty classic one, is flagship keyword ranking. So essentially it's the keyword rankings are like, they're just a benchmark. They're not really important because they only give you your rankings for a given keyword at a given time in a given location. And so your search traffic is not that. Your search traffic comes usually from all around the world. You might even have different rankings based on different states in the US, for example. Your rankings do change multiple times per day very often. And also you rank for many long-term vari long variations of a keyword. To be fair though, I, I do think there's a good, a quite strong correlation between how, yeah, how, how you are reporting in a keyword tool for rankings and the traffic you're getting to the page that that, that keyword is targeting, even yeah. from long tail and you know just overall how well your site site is doing. Where it's most useful for us is like 
troubleshooting things further down the line. So, you know, if you're, if you start losing some sales or, you know, losing new subscribers or something like that, you like regress it back. So like, what's, what's my opt-in rate? What's my traffic? And then finally, like, what's my rankings? And so like, you know, we had to experience a couple of weeks, like over the last two weeks, our traffic on Authority Hacker, it was down like, seven percent or something like that and then i'm like i wonder what's causing this if we we haven't like you know lost some rankings is there something we need to fix is something we need to do but actually when you look at the rankings it's like they're stable so it's just you know okay maybe a bit seasonality there or like post corona or something yeah i mean it's hard to tell but there was a booster on coronavirus so i can imagine that now as life's coming back to normal in most countries then uh, then it goes back to normal. But yeah, but like, you know, I agree, like QOs are a good metric, which is why it's in this list. It wouldn't be otherwise. So I think it's a good metric. We use like Ranker for our rankings. I think we buy it on AppSumo. Uh, they, have, they, they run AppSumo sometimes. And it's my favorite rank tracker. We have Ahrefs as well, but the problem with Ahrefs is it doesn't update every day. And it's not the most accurate rank tracker, let's be honest. Just to sort of like counterpoint there, there are two companies in the world that do rank tracking, but the, mm-hmm. to do it properly. And every single tool, Ahrefs, SEMrush, like every single one, even AccuRanker, AccuRanker is not doing their own rankings. Yeah, They're buying the, the rankings from one of these two companies. Yeah, but Ahrefs updates once a week and then AccuRanker will update when you press the button, for example. So like, it really depends what features are offered as well. That's what we mean by accuracy, like because it's a while since it last updated rather than it's giving you the wrong number. We use keyword rankings as well when we do on-page tweaks. So we do these a lot these days, right? We go back to a page, we'll analyze search intent or something, we'll find out like what Google is using for feature snippets, things like that. We'll change that, re-index the page, and then use the rank trackers to see the variation and see whether Google likes what we're doing or not. So like keyword rankings also allow us to see whether we're going in the right direction for that and for link building campaigns, basically. So that's it also is it's a feedback for work that we're doing uh, both on page and off page for SEO. Uh, the next one I like is clicks to rate against position in Webmasters Console. So basically it gives you an idea of what percentage of users click on your results based on the position you're at, right? Because obviously if you rank number 10, you will get less clicks than if you rank number two. So it's like, it's not like you shouldn't just look at your clicks rate in search console because it's uh, dependent on your position. So I usually like divide the two. Obviously it's not a very accurate metric. Why? Because sub layouts, there's hundreds of them. And so like, you know, if there's like a carousel on top or for your query or if there's all of that, plus also the numbers you see in search console are actually global, unless you actually specify a country which I tend to do a lot these days. I tend to set up like just US or whatever the biggest country we're working in is because it gives me something that's closer to reality, especially for sales. So I like to do that. I like to look at my clicks rate. What it allows me to do is it allows me to understand how good my search type, my title is basically. Not just for the rankings, but also for like enticing people to click. So like an example is like they, we had a, a blog post that was like, like uh, how to do this or something, but we had like 60 items in there. So I changed the title to like 60 ways to do this or something. And like the, the clicks rate went up 30% just by doing that. And so like looking at that metric and I don't need to rank higher, given the same ranking position, I can just get more search traffic. And usually when you get more clicks rate, you tend to rank higher eventually. So I like this metric a lot in terms of uh, optimizing traffic and getting more traffic. Again, that's something that does not require links. Uh, one thing that also helps me with is schema. Um, so for example, a lot of people, I haven't done the test, but a lot of people have done that test with the FAQ schema that was pretty big in 2019, end of 2019, a lot of bloggers talked about this. And realized that they get less clicks to their website, for example, because people just read the schema but don't really click to, your, to their website. 
some people might contradict that. I, I'd like to hear that actually. If you want to say that in the comments in YouTube, that'd be interesting. But like this is what it allows you to do. It allows you to see how well your schema is working, how well your title tag is working, and you can find it in Webmaster's console, search performance queries, and then you can tick the two boxes, average rankings and CTR, and you'll be able to see these numbers. And that allows us to do a lot of our SEO work that is on page work, basically. And it's really, it's an easy game. If you're uh, an agency listening to this or an in-house SEO somewhere, I remember back from when Gail and I used to run an agency many, many years ago, this was like optimizing click-through rate. It's like one of the quick wins you can do to kind of like prove your worth in a situation. Whereas, you know, like doing all the content marketing, link building stuff takes time. So if you need to show someone a quick win, um, it's a good, act, a good metric to show them how, that you've been, that you've improved and that you can actually demonstrate in, you know, less than a month or so. Yeah, it's one of the easier ways to climb in top three, top five as well without building links. And really, if you get much better engagement than clicks rate, you tend to rank higher eventually. It does take some time. It's not, it's not something that will happen tomorrow, but if you maintain that for like a few weeks, then you tend to jump up without building more links which pays off massively. I think it might help with uh, so, uh, feed snippets as well. It might, because obviously your title still shows on a feed snippet. Anyway, the last one that I have is actually the impressions per page in Google Webmasters Console. And it's just like the number of impressions in search a URL gets. And I think that's one that's great for new pages or pages you just updated, for example, but your rankings haven't moved yet. So it's kind of like a metric you look at before you get any movement in order to get some feedback on what you're doing or whether it's good or bad. Impressions tend to vary a lot, even if you're not really getting much traffic. Like you, you will get a lot of impressions before you get any traffic and ticks rate. And that just tells you how favorable or defavorable Google is towards the changes you've made to your site. And you can get these results pretty quickly after a few days of doing a change to a page or something, even though you're not ranking yet or after raising a new page or something. So I quite like looking at that for new projects and updated projects. So that's basically the 10 metrics. Anything else to add to this? Just for the last one, it's really good if this is like your first site and you're like, you know, how long is it going to take me to rank? I'm, I'm not getting any traffic. Have a look in uh, in Webmasters Console and look at the, the impressions you're getting because that's a much earlier lead indicator of progress. And I'm going to use this as an amazing segue. If you are looking to start your site, you can actually go on autohacker.training.com and we have a free webinar that you can check out that has a lot of people have liked a lot. I spent two hours just showing how we build new sites. So you can check that out. There will be a promotion for the Autorisa system at the end, but the training is free before that, regardless of whether you buy it or not, and it's pretty good. So go and check it out. And if you enjoyed this episode, one thing you can do as well is you can click on the subscribe button below on YouTube. You can give us a like. If you're listening to the audio podcast, you can go on YouTube and click on the subscribe button as well if you want to, whenever you have time and you're out of the car. And we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye.